Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our review of the prosecution's direct examination of firearms expert Paul Greer. In this installment, we begin our look at the defense's cross-examination of the witness. That's all coming up right after the break. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It is the afternoon of February 3rd, 2023, day 8 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, Prosecutor David Fernandez concluded his direct examination of firearms expert Paul Greer. As the witness tied multiple spent shotgun shells discovered around Paul and Maggie Murdoch's bodies to two weapons found on the property and two other spent and unfired cartridges found elsewhere on the Moselle property. As we begin today, the court returns from a brief break and defense attorney Jim Griffin rises to begin his cross-examination of Mr. Greer. As he questions the witness, Griffin focuses his attention on Mr. Greer's report conclusions that he could find no definitive evidence that spent ammunition discovered at the crime scene was fired by weapons that were discovered on the Moselle property. Just want to see if we can agree on one thing, and that is you're not here to tell this jury that any of the weapons in this room were used, in your opinion, to murder Maggie or Paul, correct? Uh, based on my examination of uh, the evidence, um, I had, was able to identify that there were um, matching mechanism marks in items around, um, as mentioned, the body of Maggie Murdoch and other areas of the property. And in regards to the two shot shells in comparison with those uh, shotguns, um, items 9 and 10 were inconclusive with the item 22 shotgun. So that means you cannot and you did not and you are not offering an opinion that item 22 shotgun was used to murder Paul Murdoch, correct? My result was inconclusive. I mean, what that ultimately means is I'm not able to determine that. It's a possibility that it could have been fired by that shotgun and it also could have been another firearm with similar characteristics. Meaning it's just equally possible it wasn't that gun. That's possible. And this 300 blackout, we know of 300 blackout was used to murder Maggie Murdoch, correct? Um, based on the evidence that I received, I did have um, several uh, projectiles that were 300 blackout caliber um, that were most consistent with that, as well as several cartridge cases that were head stamped that caliber. And you're not here to tell this jury, in your opinion, that this 300 blackouts laying on the floor here was used to murder Maggie Murdoch, correct? Um, the results of the comparisons of those cartridge cases, um, items two through seven, um, with test fires from that uh, item 33 rifle were also inconclusive, uh, meaning it's 
Um, I was unable to determine if those cartridge cases were fired by item 33 or they've been fired by another firearm. How many cartridges were found at the murder scene of 300 blackouts? Do you remember? Um, based on my understanding of the crime scene, I believe I was only submitted items 2 through 7. Um, so that would be six uh, fired 300 blackout caliber cartridge cases. Um, and again, I, I was not at the scene um, to recover those. That's just what was submitted to to me and based on my understanding of, of the, the evidence. Okay. As he asks his next question, defense attorney Griffin shows the witness a file. I'm going to stay on the 300 blackout for a moment. I'm going to show you what we marked as defendant exhibit 69. And, um, and, and you have your file there, but take a look at defendant 69 and tell us if you recognize that document as coming from your firearms extended report. Uh, yes, sir. This defendant's exhibit 69. Um, does appear to be a copy of um, two pages from my case file. Jim Griffin has the defense team display the file on the monitor and periodically scrolls through it as he continues to question Mr. Greer. Uh, this is page number 67 and 68. We're going to pull it up on the screen. And, and while we're doing that, Agent Greer, is this your worksheet for the 300 blackout that's here in the courtroom and sled item 33, which bears... State's exhibit number 88? Uh, yes, sir. That would be a, a, a copy of my worksheet for sled item 33. This is the item that you're not prepared to tell the jury here that, in your opinion, was not used to murder Maggie Murdoch. Uh, based on my examination of the cartridge cases, or several of those cartridge cases that were recovered from all the locations, the results of those comparisons were inconclusive. I'm unable to determine if they were fired by that firearm or by another firearm or firearms with those similar characteristics. But you did test fire this item 33, correct? Yes, sir, I did. On the second page of Exhibit 69, um, Doug, if you'll pull up the description of what happened, and if you'll tell the jury what problems you encountered when you test fired item 33, which is State's Exhibit 88. Yes, sir. Um, during the test firing, um, I loaded the magazine um, with cartridges, um, that was sled item 34, and I inserted that into the magazine well of the sled item 33, the rifle. I chambered the first available cartridge into the firearm and fired it. Um, that went as expected. Um, the cartridge was fired, it extracted and ejected from that firearm properly. Um, however, as that bolt was going back forward, um, I would have expected it to pick up the next available cartridge from the magazine, however it didn't and I had to manually cycle that bolt again to load the next available cartridge from the magazine. Um, that issue did not prevent me from test firing it, and I was able to um, collect those test specimens that I needed, um, and no further analysis to determine the cause of that was conducted. It says, as a firearm cycle, the next available cartridge in the magazine failed to feed in the chamber. So then you had to manually do it. How, how do you manually do it? Uh, yes, sir. On the, um, the top of the firearm, there's a charging handle um, I had to pull back on that charging handle, which in turn pulls that bolt backwards. And when I did that and released it, it was able to then go forward on its own and pick up the next cartridge from that magazine that was inserted into the firearm. And you had to do that every time you fired Exhibit 88, is that correct? Yes, sir, I believe so. During my test firing, um, I did have that phenomenon occur. So is it fair to say Exhibit 88, item 33, was malfunctioning when you tested it? Um, it did not uh, work as I expected it to. 
Um, I would have expected it to fire and load that next cartridge as it should. Um, however, when we're test firing these firearms, we're holding them in different ways because we're test firing them in a bullet a recovery tank, which at the time was a, a vertical tank filled with water. So I had to hold it in kind of a, a strange position. Um, but uh, through all my test firing, I did have this situation occur. Um, but again, no other testing to determine why that um, was happening, um, was conducted, and I was able to test fire that gun and collect those test specimens. And is it fair to say you were not able to rapid fire, pull the trigger, pull the trigger, pull the trigger, and shoot bullets in immediate succession? During my testing, I had to, to manually load that next cartridge in, so it just took the amount of time that it would take me to, to do that step, if you will. Instead of the firearm performing that function for me, I had to do it, and, and that's what I did in this case. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Defense attorney Jim Griffin continues his cross-examination of Paul Greer by again focusing on evidence collected at the crime scene for which Mr. Greer could not determine the firing weapon. Were you able to get the projectile out of the water tank and compare it to the two projectiles found at the murder scene, I believe, and on this item eight, or as part of your analysis, did you compare ejectiles from item 33 to the projectiles found at the scene? Uh, yes, sir, that is correct. I did collect those test-fired bullets from our water tank, and I did compare that where appropriate with the fired um, projectiles that were submitted. And did you reach any conclusions based upon that projectile comparison? Yes, sir, I did. And what were those conclusions? Based on the observable physical characteristics of items 8 and 12, um, those are slid items 8 and 12, I determined those to be most consistent with 300 blackout caliber. Um, item 8 may be suitable for identification with other evidence. And item 12 sustained damage, um, and it was unsuitable for identification with other evidence. Um, that means that due to the damage that it had sustained, um, there were no identifying features that I saw under the microscope that I would use for identification purposes. I also received several other um, projectiles and fragments that I compared to the Item 33 rifle. Due to damage in their size, the caliber calibers items 11, 66, and 137 could not be determined. They were just too small for me to um, make any determination about their, their caliber. Due to damage and the limited marks of value that I saw, on item 11, specifically the fired bullet jacket fragment and the item 66 fired bullet jacket fragments, I was concluded that those may or may not be suitable for identification. 
and use and compare those later on to the rifle. Based on no marks of value that were displayed on the item 11 bullet jacket fragments, item 11 piece of lead, and item 66 pieces of lead, I determined those were unsuitable. So again, due to uh, there being no marks of value for me to compare, I was unable to, uh, to compare those with those test bullets. Item 137 bore some type of strided marking. However, I was unable to determine the origin of those marks and, and use those for a, an identification purpose. It, and um, it was determined that it was also unsuitable. Lastly, the three items that I did compare with those test specimens that fired from those rifle, which were item eight, the item 11 fired bullet jacket fragment, and the item 66 fired bullet jacket fragments, the results of those comparisons were also inconclusive um, with each other and with those test specimens. And that was due to damage and just insufficient markings for us to base our opinion on. It could not be determined whether those items were fired by item 33 or by another firearm or firearms with similar characteristics. So exhibit 250 is the projectile that was found by marker 8, I believe, and confirm that form of the Yes, sir, that is correct. State's exhibit 250 was sled item 8 um, near tire impression at marker 8. That's correct. And I, I believe you, as you're reading from your report, told the jury that, that you couldn't make any conclusions about the projectile seized at the scene from the projectiles fired in a water tank from this 300 blackout laying on the floor here. Is that right? That's correct. The results of those comparisons were inconclusive. So I'm unable to determine if item 8 was fired by the rifle or by another fire with similar rifling characteristics. Well, aren't, aren't the rifling marks on a projectile as it goes through the barrel more reliable when making firearm identifications than most any other tool marks that you rely upon? I wouldn't say they're more reliable. We do uh, rely on the rifling in that barrel to, to mark those projectiles and that's what gives those markings on the or puts those markings on those bullets so we're able to look at them and do a, a firearms identification examination on them. Tools firearms all mark evidence. Again, I was unable to do that in this case and my results were inconclusive. I mean, that's due to the damage that these may have sustained and to just insufficient markings that, uh, that were on the bullet when I looked at it. There was not enough of those markings on there for me to determine if they were fired by item 33. Paul Greer refers to his notes periodically over the next series of questions from defense attorney Griffin. Item 8, exhibit 250 there. Do you recall whether there was human organic matter on that projectile when it was recovered? I don't have um, documented in my notes that there was any farm material or trace on it as I received it. But uh, we know that I, that projectile was recovered at the murder scene at marker 8. Is that right? Yes, sir. Near the tire impression at marker 8. That's correct. And you made comparisons of shell cartridges, the back end of, of the full bullet, that were collected at the shooting house on the property at Moselle. Did you not? I don't have the numbers, but we went through them a moment ago. But if you look at 108 through 125 in your report, those are uh, spent 300 blackout caliber cartridge cases. Sled items 108 through 125 uh, was determined all to be fired 300 blackout caliber cartridge cases. And in your report, it references left of shooting chair near field, right front corner, etc. Maybe you don't know, but are you aware those were collected at a gun house at a firing range on the property? Um, yes, yes, sir. And I'm going to back up. I misspoke earlier. It's 108 through 124 are the 300 blackout caliber cartridge cases. 
But based on my understanding of everything, yeah, there was some type of shooting um, field or stand that um, I believe those were collected from, and that kind of seems to coincide with the item descriptions, which is what I'm familiar with. Okay, and, and were you aware that when you're sitting in the shooting house and you're uh, target practicing that there was a earthen berm that the shots were fired into? No, sir, I've never seen this area. Okay. Would it have been helpful to your analysis if investigators had dug out items from the earthen berm or the projectiles, such as what's sitting in front of you as States Exhibit 250? We're able to look at bullets that are submitted. Um, we don't have any type of restraint. Um, it may have been helpful. Um, bullets, as we've seen here, um, come to us in all shapes and sizes due to their damage that may have, they may have sustained. And so unable, I'm unable to really answer that question without seeing the evidence and determining if it would be helpful. As he asks the next series of questions, Jim Griffin picks up one of the firearm evidence boxes and shows it to Mr. Greer. I want to ask you um, a little more about the conclusions that you've reached as uh, documented in your report, and I've particularly uh, focused on item 128. And I'm still talking about the uh, Buster 300 blackout that's laying on the floor here in the courtroom. And just so we're clear, there were cartridges that we talked about, the back end of the bullet, that you were able to conclude that they were fired, were fired by this gun, right? Yes, sir. I was able to determine in looking at the totality of the marks on those cartridge cases that there were items submitted to me um, have been fired by that firearm. And, and your conclusion that, that they've been fired by this gun, and we're talking about the cartridges, one is cartridge 38, which is up by the residence, correct? Yes, sir. Slit item 38, that's my understanding, um, and it was submitted as being recovered from um, near a door. Well. And that's the door that you testified that you saw when you went on the property? Yes, sir, I believe so. That's my understanding. And, and so there was a sled agent early in the case who had a body cam going around picking up fent shell cartridges adjacent to that door, and you believe this is one of those, correct? Um, that's my understanding that those items came from the area outside that gun room door. And you concluded that that item 38, along with some other items, found at the shooting house, which would be 109 and 110, you concluded. Where, where 109 and 110 found? Yeah, that's the shooting range, correct? Uh, yes, sir. As submitted to the lab, collected item 109 was collected from right front corner near field, and item 110 was in front of shooter's chair under table, table near field. Okay. And so one spent cartridge found next to the door up at the main residence at Moselle, and then you've got five found at the shooting range that you say, in your opinion, were fired by this gun. Yes, sir, that's my opinion. But then you've also, also matched other cartridges, according to your report, items 111, 114, 115, 18, 19, 123, and it says 128 in your report that you say were loaded into, extracted, and ejected from this rifle. That's correct. But you don't say they were fired from this rifle. That's correct. But they were spent shell casings found at the shooting range, correct? Yes, sir. And, and those were fired cartridge cases, in it, and it's just plain term. They had been fired. Um, when I'm looking at the totality of all these markings, again, we go back to the those five areas that we're really going to look at, um, the marks that I saw that were in agreement that I made that uh, conclusion and based my opinion on, um, were those ejector or uh, lug and extractor marks 
and that's not what detonated that primer. So that's the difference there. So we know those marks can occur when that cartridge or fire cartridge case is cycling through there, but that's not what um, detonated that cartridge, and, and that's the difference in, in that result. Yes, sir. Well, let's look at it from the other side of the coin. So you're saying that the breach marks on the primer, where the firing pin hit the primer, did not match up. Rifle 33, the, the breech marks on the firing pin didn't match up on these uh, spent cartridges. 111, 114, 15, 118, 119, 123, 128. Um, no, sir. Um, when I, I did compare all of these cartridge cases to each other and with those test cartridge cases fired from it, items 111, 114, 115, 118, 119, 123, and 128, um, due to insufficient corresponding markings on those, on that primer and in those breech face marks, I was unable to determine if they were all fired by item 33 or by another firearm or firearms with similar characteristics. I did examine those and the results of those comparisons were inconclusive. So you're saying it, you, you didn't, you're, you're not telling the jury they don't match, it's just you couldn't match them. They're inconclusive. The, my results of those um, comparisons are inconclusive. Yes, sir. Okay. And then you also in your report, you conclude that it's inconclusive on whether item 33 states exhibit 88. Are you saying it's inconclusive whether item 33 exhibit 88 fired two through seven? That's correct. Well, we just talked about there's a difference between firing and then cycling and extracting. Yes, sir. Two marks. Did you look at states exhibit 88 to see if the extraction marks max, matched up to items two through seven? Based on the evidence that I received, um, I was able to determine that items two through seven um, had those matching mechanism marks with um, items 35 through 37, 39, 108, 113, 116 through 117, and 122 um, to conclude that those items have been loaded into, extracted and extracted from the same firearm at some previous time. But you can't identify the firearm, the gun. Correct. In terms of being fired by, I was able to determine that several items had been fired by that rifle, and the results of those comparisons um, with the other items, slid items 2 through 7, 35 through 37, 39, 108, 111 through 120, 122 through 124, and 128. Um, those comparisons with each other and those test cartridge cases fired by the item 33 rifle were inconclusive. Let's see if I can understand what you're talking about with regard to your conclusions on that items 227, which were shell casings found at, near Maggie's body, and other spent cartridges found around the Mobile house and at the shooting range. You conclude that they were loaded into, extracted, and ejected from the same firearm at some previous time. That's correct. And for those, I, I guess we have the same issue. You, you looked at the primer, the breech marks on the primer, and you couldn't make any conclusions on those, right? When I looked at the, um, the primer area where those breech face and firing pin impressions are, um, the results of, of including that in a fire by result were inconclusive. And that, that is the results for items two through seven, and 35 through 37, 39. 108, 111 through 120, 122 through 124, and 128. Aren't the breech marks in the firing pin, aren't those more reliable than extractor marks when you're doing an analysis? During the marking of these specimens, if you will, through firing, the machining process to, to create those firearms 
Um, we, we see tool marks on fire cartridge cases and fire bullets um, from multiple different processes. Um, I can't say that one's more reliable to mark than the other. Um, it's, it's all due to the machining process and also um, due to the individual wear and tear of that firearm through use of it um, and repetitive use or abuse of the firearm. That can also add to the markings in each or of those locations that we're looking at, whether it be something from the breech face from the firing pin, um, those extractors and ejectors, or even the rifling in the barrel. All of those um, variables can play into those markings and, um, and how we see those and how they reproduce on our evidence and how individual they are to each gun. Well, that, that does bring me to another point. Isn't your opinion based upon inclusion that every 300 blackout manufactured in the world, whether it's put together by John Bedingfield or mass assembled at Palmetto State Armory or anywhere in the world, that each one, when they cycle a bullet through and inject it, will produce its own unique, like no other in the world, its own unique tool mark? Isn't that, isn't that what your opinion is based on? Again, during the, the manufacturing of, of these um, is that is that a yes or no? I would like to explain it a little more. Your Honor, can I get a yes or no and then an explanation? Prosecutor Fernandez objects and Judge Clifton Newman asks defense attorney Jim Griffin to restate the question. Your Honor, I'm objecting and you can answer the question. Restate the question. Isn't your opinion based upon the presumption or the or the basis of your opinion is that Every three in a blackout manufacturer in the world produces its own unique set of tool marks when it cycles a bullet through. Yes or no? I would like to answer that with a little bit of explanation if possible. Your Honor, I would appreciate a yes or no, and he can explain all day long. If you can answer yes or no, you must answer yes or no, then explain. It, it, it's hard to say. I have not looked at every 300 blackout um, that's in the world, so it's hard to answer that question. But, but again, based on my, my knowledge of, of that process and how they're made, I'm able to, to support my answer without answering it in a yes or no manner, I suppose. But you're saying you, you found shells here, shells, cartridges here, cartridges there, cartridges at the murder scene, and, and they all have, I mean, not all the marks are identical, but enough marks are close enough to being identical. In your opinion, they were fired by one weapon in the world. Um, it's my opinion that those um, had all been cycled through the same firearm at one point in time. Yes, sir. Uh, but not fired by the same firearm? Uh, no, sir, that's not what my, my conclusions say. The, as far as being fired by that firearm or by the same gun, uh, those results are inconclusive. The key distinction that Mr. Greer takes pains to emphasize is that there were a number of spent shell casings that he can aver were cycled through weapons seized at the property, but he is not able to determine whether those shell casings were actually fired by those same weapons. Defense attorney Griffin suggests with his follow-up that such a distinction is nonsensical. So that means that the markings on the breech, because they were all fired, they all have a fire pin hitting the primer, and you call that breech markings, correct? Uh, yes, sir. Those are breech face markings um, that we would see on the primer. And there were dissimilar dissimilarities between those where you couldn't reach a conclusion. That's correct. Those uh, shared, again, the same class characteristics. Um, so we were we compared those to each other based on our comparisons. Um, that's correct. There were not enough. There's not enough agreement. There was insufficient agreement there for me to reach a conclusion um, based on uh, my training and experience and looking at all of these cartridge cases that I could say that they were um, fired by 
the same firearm, and that's how we arrived at that conclusion. Is there any way to determine, for you to determine, when the shell casings, cartridges, were cycled and ejected in this one firearm that's unique to all others in the world? Like, I, can, I cannot date uh, when those were fired or when those were loaded into or extracted and ejected from a firearm, no, sir. I cannot put a, a time stamp, if you will, on that, no, sir. And, and you can't state whether it was a 300 blackout assembled in 2016 given a Burton for Christmas gift or if it was a replacement given in 2017 or 2018. I mean, you don't know what year the gun was that cycled and ejected? That's correct. I do not have knowledge on the year of manufacture of these firearms. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we continue our look at the testimony of Paul Greer. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie and Tholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.